0: Turn to your Bibles this morning as you place that cup in the receptacle in front of you, the bread to your side. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. In a few moments, we'll turn to verse 11. Luke chapter 19. Amen. Within your Bibles this morning. Amen. Have you ever, ever been the victim of wrong perception Faulty perception, a faulty perspective. I live I live, uh, I live between uh, 23 mile and 24 mile on Shaner. As Shaner goes from, uh, crosses over 23 mile, many of you know it goes from two lanes on the one side down to one. So you've got to merge over. And uh, I don't like waiting in long, long lines. And the 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 one lane stacks up, so I get in the merging lane, the race car lane. Of course, I don't speed, never, whatsoever. So I can scoot on over. And uh, I was in that we call it the race car lane, and I needed to scoot over. And I always check out the car I'm next to. I'm hoping it's going to be a, you know, a four cylinder minivan. And it wasn't. It was a Hemi. And uh, I, I had to put the pedal to the metal and let it roar, but still stay within the speed limit. And uh, I did that. The tires squealed a little bit. And I got out front and I was feeling. Really good, and then a little voice from the back seat—the voice of, at that time, my, my little girl Jenny. A voice from the back seat said, "Daddy, there's a police car behind you." <gasps> oh, 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 My heart—I needed nine eleven right there. I mean nine one one. I mean, I, I was, I, I was a candidate for ER right there—heart attack. And I slowed down and looked behind. There was no police car behind me. <laughs> this little laugh came from the back seat. Fooled you, fooled you, fooled you. Jenny's ministry in our lives. <laughs> Jesus wasn't fooled. The people were fooled. Jesus gave the last parable before His final week, the week of weeks, His final week of His life, the week of His death and resurrection. He gave His last teaching in a parable, a very special parable that was uppermost on His heart. He gave it in Luke chapter 19. And the reason at the onset He gives the parable, it's to correct Their faulty understanding of Him and His kingdom. Read it with me. Luke 19.11 While they were listening to this, He went on to tell them a parable because He was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Misperception. Yet, I believe that the greatest misperception in the church today is when it comes to the understanding of blessings and how to receive blessings. This morning, I want to preach a message to you, blessed to be a blessing. Father, the name of Jesus, speak to us even right now, here in this house. the name of Jesus, amen. To understand Jesus' parable in Luke 19, if you're following along with me, taking notes, it's important to realize the context. The context. Jesus is at the height of His popularity. Jesus is thought by the people to now announce His kingship in Jerusalem, to sit upon the throne of David, and to kick out the Romans and bring in His earthly ministry, His earthly kingdom. Jesus corrects the understanding of the people. He wants them to understand that His earthly kingdom is not now, but in the future. That his kingdom in the now is a spiritual kingdom. But one day he will return with a physically visible, manifested, earthly kingdom. So he gives this parable. Luke 19, verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. He called ten of his servants and gave them ten minyas. Put this money to work," he said. "Until I come back, what's a minya? Um, one minya was worth three months' wages. How much would three months of wages mean to you? The paraphrase puts it as anywhere from two thousand to ten thousand dollars is placed in the hands of each of these ten servants. Write it down with me. This parable the ten servants reveals those who refuse the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. Verse 14, But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Jesus is telling the story about a nobleman that would travel to a far country to receive his kingdom. While he's away, he gives his servants money to invest to put his money, the king's money, to work for him while he's away. And so now he goes to the far kingdom to receive the ratification of his kingship. By the way, this is the only parable of Jesus that's based on historical fact. The people clearly understood the framework of Jesus' story because it was based upon what happened to the son of King Herod, Archelaus. Archelaus, when he inherited King Herod, King Herod, the king of the Christmas story. After he died, he divided his rulership among his four sons. One of them, Archelaus, went to Rome to get ratification for his kingship. While he went to Rome, 50 Jews went to Rome as well and said, we don't want this man to rule over us. Rome gave Archelaus the kingship anyway. Jesus is basing his parable upon fact. So the people's heads are nodding right now in the audience. They understand clearly the current events of the time. But Jesus adds more to the story. The unfaithful servant. Luke 19, verse 15. Then the king sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your Mina has earned ten more. Well done done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, sir, your minya has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Verse 20, then another servant came and said, sir, here is your minya. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth, or some translations say, I folded it up in a napkin. I was afraid of you, verse 21, because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. You reap what you did not sow. His master, the king, replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew did you that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I come back when I came back I could have collected it with interest. The parable of the 10 servants reveals our Lord's desire to do what? To bless I want you to notice how these ten men were blessed. They were all blessed with freely given money, freely given prosperity. They didn't have to earn it, work for it. They didn't have to sweat for it. All of these were blessed with a a beautiful opportunity, a beautiful responsibility. They had the opportunity to be representatives of the king. They had the grand opportunity to represent the king in doing the king's business. Christian! You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. (laughs) You're a representative of the most holy God. And you have been called this week to go forward into the world and transact kingdom business on behalf of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is no greater opportunity than to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me in this? Oh, what a blessing! What a blessing. Yet despite the powerful blessings given to each of the ten servants, one ended up being completely, completely unfaithful. Write it down. Was this servant unfaithful because he had a fear of failure? What do you bring up fear, Pastor? Again, look at 1921. He admits, I was afraid. I I submit to you that fear is probably our deadliest, oldest enemy. It was because of fear that Eve bit into the forbidden fruit. It's because of fear that there are marital problems and family problems today. At the root of most relational problems in the church, outside of the church, In the world today, in homes today, at the very root of unfaithfulness is usually, you'll find, fear. Did this man, was he gripped by a fear of failure? Fear is the father of failure. Fear of failure will keep you from attempting great things for God. Why did that generation of Israelites not possess the land the first time they came to the promised land? There's giants in the land. We can't do it. The fear of failure. The fear of failure. I want to remind you, God, God's not looking for credentials. God's not looking for pedigrees. God is not looking for every Christian to have a seminary degree. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's just looking for willing vessels. You don't have to have this amazing, charismatic personality or a stained glass voice that prays like a preacher. Think of what God can do when you freely offer Him all that you are and all that you have. What did God do with a dry piece of wood, a stick, In the hands of Moses. What did God do? When you put your little in the hands of God, you're able to stand before the forces of evil and say, Let my people go! And with that dry piece of wood, Moses, because he put it in the hands of God, humbled an empire and made a way where there seemed to be no way, in the name of Jehovah. What did God do with a little slingshot? That was placed in his hands. What did he do with a little boy's slingshot? He brought down a giant whose name was what? Goliath. What did God do with a little boy's lunch? How many of you had lunch boxes when you went to school? Those little metal. I had. I had lost in space on my lunchbox. That was cool. I was a cool kid of the '60s. Yeah, yeah. They'd say, there goes that lost in space guy. They used to say, no, he's just lost (laughs) in space. (laughs) Yeah, and one day this, this kid, he overheard Jesus and his pastoral team talking. Jesus was saying to his pastoral team, you see all those people? I want you to feed them. Don't let them go away hungry. Feed them. You feed them. And the pastoral team, I mean, they went into a business meeting, and the pastoral team said, "Uh, It's improbable. It's impractical. It's impossible. And it wasn't a disciple. It wasn't a pastor. It was a little boy. And I imagine his sack lunch. And he comes up. He tugs at the robe of Jesus and says, Jesus, here's my lunch. You can have it all. And when we put our all, even though it's little, in the hands of God, it becomes much. Amen? Little in the hands of God becomes much. And Jesus took those, that little boy's lunch and he kept dividing and dividing and dividing. And it fed, fed, probably more than 20,000 people People. And there were twelve basketfuls left over. Because little in the hands of God becomes much. God's not looking for your abilities. God's looking for your availability, your faithfulness. Would you just trust God and put your all into God's hands and watch what God will do. You have no fear of failure when you do that. Was the servant, Number three, was this servant unfaithful because he feared it would cost him in time and effort what it would cost him? A lot of people don't get involved in ministry. Many people don't get involved in the things of God because the sacrifice is too high. The cost is too great. Let me tell you something here this morning. I can, I can put on edge of eternity... And I can pretty much guarantee you that we will jam the altars with people that don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven. Everybody wants a free ticket of life insurance, eternal life insurance. Nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But when you ask people, are you willing to pay the price? Price? Pastors is a price? Yes. Jesus said there was a cost. A cost to being a follower of His. Salvation is free, but following Jesus is going to cost you everything. It might cost you popularity and friends. It might cost you prestige and position. It might cost you prosperity. It will cost you your pleasures. But it's going to cost something to follow Jesus. Jesus said, count the cost. If anyone will follow me, let him take up his cross and deny himself. Follow me. Was he afraid of the cost? The blood, sweat, and tears. Is this why this servant ended up being unfaithful? I submit to you that the real root, mark it down, of this servant's fear was the fact that he didn't trust the Lord. He didn't understand the principle of divine ownership. Divine ownership. I need a one-word answer. I have faith right now that I'm going to have a one-word answer from this whole congregation from this entire audience, nay, this congregation this morning, I have enough faith in you that you are spiritually astute enough, wise enough that you're all going to give the same answer and you're all going to give it together. Are you ready for the question? I'm ready for the answer. How much, how much do you own? I am blessed by pastoring a mature congregation. If you're a guest here this morning, you have entered into a church with a very mature congregation. God bless you. We own nothing. We own nothing. Read the parable. The servant thought that the Lord, his master, had stolen from was going to steal from him. And that's why he did not invest the money. He thought that the Master, the Lord that he worked for, was going to steal all the prophets. He said, I was afraid because you're a hard man. He viewed his Lord, he had a distorted perception of his God and his Lord. He viewed the Lord as a stingy, miserly, Ebenezer Scrooge. And we want to tell him, Servant, it was not your money to begin with. Christian, you and I own nothing. Job, Job says, he writes, I came in the world with nothing. I will leave the world with nothing. We own nothing. Who gave you? Who gave you? Who gave you? your job? Who gave you your position? Who gave you your education? Who gave you the brain that is able to think through things, solve problems, be creative, be inventive, figure out, analyze? Who gave you health? Who gave you ability to go to work? Who gave you all those things? Who gave you your money? Who gave you your resources? Who gave you your opportunities? Who gave you time? Who's given you all those things? God. And one day, one day we're going to stand at a holy high court of heaven. And it's final auditing day. The books are opened. That's right, Christian. We're going to be judged as well. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're all going to be judged. Our works are going to be tested by fire. And there will be some on judgment day. Yes, they'll make it to heaven, Paul writes. But as though by the skin of their teeth, as though saved by fire, they'll stand there with deep regret. They'll stand there in sorrow and shame. Because they did nothing for God. Yes, they make it to heaven, but no rewards. Only regret. No wonder God must wipe the tears from their eyes. All that we have, all that we are, is owned by God. We are stewards. We are called to be managers of all that God has given us. This servant did not understand that. He thought it was his. He would have told you, I earned it. I worked for it. It was my blood, sweat, and tears. It was my privilege to do with it what I wanted to do with it. And it was the Lord's privilege to pronounce judgment because it wasn't the servant's money to begin with. Accounting day. Oh, know that it's coming. What fear is keeping you from totally trusting God? What fear is keeping you from totally trusting God? Is it the fear of rejection, loneliness, Psychologists tell us that the most basic primal fear in our lives—I shared this on Wednesday night—is abandonment. Many of you remember the time we entertained people at our home and we forgot and left uh, uh, our son in his car seat uh, in the darkened garage in the car for two whole hours until our guests said, "Where's your, where's your toddler?" Where's your child? T- we open up the garage door, and I mean, in that darkness, all we heard was howling and screaming. The boy's 29 now this month, and he's still not the same. I mean, I <laughs> abandonment. Do you fear abandonment? Listen, you serve an almighty God who's also an all loving father, and he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. Fear can drive us to do crazy stuff, disobedient stuff. Know that you have a faithful Father that's more faithful than we can ever imagine. Do you fear? Do you fear the unknown? Do you fear uh, tomorrow? Do you fear uncertainty? Why is it, why is it that people RUN to read the horoscope in the newspaper? They RUN to go to the palm reader. They RUN to the Chinese restaurant just to get a fortune cookie. They want to know about tomorrow. They think that the pronosticators of the new age are are just as good as the weather forecasters. I freely admit I don't know about tomorrow, but I know and you know the One who holds tomorrow in His hands. And I trust Him. He's guiding. He's blessing. He's directing every step. What do you fear? What do you fear? Do you fear that you're not going to have enough money to pay the bills next week? Do you fear retirement? That you won't have enough money for retirement? Do you fear that you're not having enough money right now in retirement? Do you fear finances? The psalmist wrote, uh, I once was young, but now I am old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We serve a great God. Don't fear! Don't fear! Don't fear! What do we know about the spirit of fear? The spirit of fear will haunt you fear is a spirit it's demonic it comes from the pit of hell god hath not given us a spirit of fear the bible says but of love power and a sound a sound mind the biggest reason this servant was unfaithful was the fact that he failed to understand we are blessed to be a blessing we are blessed to be a blessing He was given that money to be a blessing. He wasn't given that money to be able to consume on his own greedy desires, his own selfish desires. He was given the blessing to be a blessing. Tragically, because he misunderstood that divine principle that you find cover to cover in the Bible because he misunderstood this powerful spiritual principle blessed to be a blessing he ends up with eternal regret let's look at the blessing principle Luke 19 verse 24 Jesus continues with his story Jesus said then to those, or the master said to those standing by, Take his mina, or his money, away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas, the faithful servant. Sir, they replied, he already has ten. Now get a hold of this. Get a hold of this principle here. Don't miss it. This is for mature audiences only. Jesus gives the story here. The king says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. What is Jesus teaching here? What principle? If you will determine to be a blessing to others, if you will determine to be blessed to be a blessing... You will receive more blessing to be a blessing. You'll receive more blessing to be a blessing. You'll receive more blessing to be a blessing. It is the divine cycle that God has engrafted in His Word and in His kingdom, which is invincible and imperishable that He wants us to ascertain. You see, write it down. It's God's desire to prosper you. Deuteronomy 8:18 8, Remember the Lord your God it's he who gives you the power to get wealth Psalms 1 Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord whatever they do prospers Proverbs 8:21 that I may cause those who love me to inherit what wealth that I may fill their treasuries This might not be Bill Gates money this might not be cash This is divine prosperity that covers more than what money can buy. Priceless things like your health, or a wonderful, peaceful life, and marriage and family. Please, be aware of this. Jesus goes on in Mark 10, 29, truly I tell you, no one who's left homes, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, fields for me, and the Gospel, if you have paid the price to follow Jesus and be His representative, and you have been a blessing and it's cost you something to be a blessing in this life. Jesus says you will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and the age to come. If you were to calculate that a hundred times as much, what interest rate is that? You might be getting .75% on your savings account at the bank. Jesus will give you 10,000%. Can I hear an amen? I don't know about you, it sounds like a good deal to me. If I will determine to be blessed, to be a blessing, this is the word of the Lord to you this morning. Write it down. God blesses us not to feed our greeds. God blesses us to be a blessing so that we can keep receiving His blessings. Look at yourself as nothing but a conduit. Look at yourself as nothing but a channel for the blessings of God. But if you view yourself as a reservoir to contain God's blessings, you're going to lose out. You'll be the unfaithful servant. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to realize, I cannot pastor. Pastors cannot pastor, preachers cannot preach, churches cannot be built, missionaries cannot be sent, the gospel cannot be proclaimed unless you are prospered, unless you are blessed, and then in turn take what God gives you to invest. In the work of the Lord so that God may bless you with more and more. So that you can give more and more. And it might not be just money. That could be of your time. It could be of your abilities. It could be of your availability. Be aware of this. But Pastor, I, I have too many problems right now of my own to, to, to be a blessing to others one of the best things that you can do if you're having a problem right now one of the best things you can do if you've got a problem help somebody else solve their problem as long as you're focused on your own needs and wants that's self-absorption that's selfishness if you want to fulfill your dreams Fulfill the dreams of somebody else and watch what God will release into your life because God is a giver and not a taker. The real people of God are also givers and not takers for God so loved the world that He gave His best. He gave His best, His only begotten Son for you and I. Quit trying to figure out what people can do for you. Figure out what you can do for others. And watch what God will do. If you want God to bless your life, start being a blessing to others. Write it down. Something supernatural happens when we get our eyes off of ourselves and turn to the needs of those around about us. Isaiah 58. When you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, then your life is going to break forth like the dawn. Then your healing is going to quickly, quickly, quickly come. Do you see the miraculous? When you get involved in being a blessing to the hurting and to the needy, You literally unbind the hands of God to move miraculously in your life and the lives of others. Hallelujah! Why are we doing a big give? Why are we doing a back-to-school big give where we're going to bless the needy and the hurting so that their children can have back-to-school supplies? Why are we doing that? Not just because it's the right thing to do. Not just because it's the godly thing to do. Not just because it's God-glorifying. It opens the door to the miraculous in our church. I know this as a pastor. That's why we do big gifts, so that the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit can continue to move in our church and bring healings. Do you know the healing miracle that we heard this morning? I was in ICU on Thursday. I heard the doctor's report. I heard that a steel plate was going to have to be surgically put by the neurosurgeon in Matt Mill's head, and God has shown up. God has brought a miracle. He doesn't have to have this surgery now. God is so good. God is working. And He'll do it for you too. Be blessed to be a blessing to others. And watch how God will move the mountains in your life and my life. That's what God is desiring to do. The reason so many are not growing in the church today is because they're not sowing. They're not sowing. In the final analysis, when the year is all up, they've done squat for the kingdom of God. If that trend continues, one day they'll stand before a holy bench. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians 3 that God will order the angels to bring all of our works Before Him. He'll then test it with fire. If fire burns everything up, you'll be like the unfaithful servant. Nothing to show for your life, your time on earth. You made no difference in this world for Jesus Christ. The many reasons why people are not growing in this is because they're not sowing. Paul said in Galatians 6-7, whatever a man sows that he will also what? What if a farmer decided, I'm just going to sit around this year, and I'm just going to believe God for a mighty harvest. Sounds so spiritual. I'm going to name it and claim it. (laughs) I'm going to move in expectation faith, and I'm just going to believe as I sit here looking through my window that the corn is just going to sprout up. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm going to confess it and possess it. I'm going to name it and claim it. I'm going to to blab it and grab it for the glory of God. We look at that. That's that's stupid, Pastor. That's that's foolishness. Pastor, he's got to get out there and plant some seed. Do you know the divine principle that 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 is? Anything that you want to reap, you've got to sow. You want blessing? Then be a blessing. Stop praying, God, give me a blessing, and start praying, God, make me a blessing. Honey, sir, ma'am, how many of you? You have a rocky marriage. How many of you go to bed at night and you say, I wish my husband would say this. I wish my husband would be like this. I wish my wife would act like this. I wish, my, I, I, I wish I'd have a loving marriage, a loving home. If you want wheat, if you want corn, what do you need to plant? If you want wheat, what do you plant? What kind of seeds do you plant if you want corn? Then why are you planting poison ivy seeds? You reap what you sow. Now, I challenge some of you in your homes. I challenge you. I challenge you. I don't care what you feel. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. Your obedience and faith to the Holy Word of God has everything to do with it. I challenge you in the name of Jesus to move in obedience and in faith. Yes, trust the Lord because the psalmist says, look what the psalmist says. Look what the psalmist says. The psalmist says so very clearly in Psalms 37, in times of difficulty, number one, trust in the Lord. Number two, do good. How are you going to do good? Back up the slide, if you would. Learn to be more seed oriented than need oriented. And I challenge you for the next several weeks plant seeds of love, plant seeds of encouragement, plant seeds of affection, plant seeds of respect. Plant, 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 plant. plant persevere. Be faithful. Till death do you part. Well, I get nothing back in return. You're not doing it for him. You're not doing it for her. You're doing it for the Lord, who is the faithful rewarder of all of them who diligently seek after him. That's God's word. Plant, 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 plant. It's not enough to believe. you got to plant some seed. Start being seed oriented instead of need oriented. Proverbs 11 verse 25, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Do you need a financial miracle? Invest in God's work. Plant good seed. Are you lonely? Do you need friends? Then give a smile. Give a hug. Uh, Wake up every morning, I'll tell you, rejoicing before the Lord. Come before everybody you meet and and ask them, isn't God good? I want you to know God's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Everything's all right with me. How about you? Plant seed. Plant seed. Plant seed. Well, Pastor, I don't have anything to give. Go mow somebody's lawn. Go bring some shut-in, some groceries. Visit the lonely in the nursing home. Visit the shut-ins. And watch what God will do as you plant seed, seed, seed. Today, begin a brand new day. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to start being seed-oriented instead of need-oriented. Need-oriented makes you depressed. Need-oriented makes you critical. Being need-oriented will make you, let me tell you, discouraged and disappointed because people will always let you down. Jesus will never let you down. Follow His Word. Be seed-oriented and you'll reap what you sow. God's Word is so very, very clear. This past week, my wife had to go to her doctor. She's got a highly intelligent specialized medical doctor. And this doctor knows that she's a pastor's wife. And this doctor been, began to inquire, what's it like to be a Christian? Mmm, door open! Your pastor's wife, Becky, Walked through the door and began to share Jesus, 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 Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, Jesus will change your life, Jesus will give you a new smile, Jesus will give you a new direction, Jesus will give you a new eternity, hallelujah, with Jesus the best is yet to come. The doctor ended up, this female doctor, hugging my wife, sobbing and sobbing as my wife prayed over her and led her to Jesus. Hallelujah! 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 There's needs all around you. There's people that need a smile. There's people that need your encouragement. There's people that need a postcard of encouragement. Be seed oriented. Instead of need-oriented, watch the contentment, the peace, the refreshing to go into your life. Don't go through life as a taker. Be a giver like our God. Be blessed to be a blessing. Lastly, verse 27. It's a tragic verse. Sober verse. The King, Jesus said, said this, those enemies of mine, who did not want me to be king over them. What, there's two kinds of people here in the world today. Two classes. Those that embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ and those that reject the lordship of Jesus in their life. They don't want Jesus to rule and reign over their life. I've stopped using the term commit. Commit your life to Jesus. I now use the term The Bible term, because I don't find the word commit at all in the Bible. Commit your life to Jesus. What we do find is will you submit your life to Jesus? And the parable ends with those who refuse to submit their lives to Jesus. Jesus' parable ends on a very sobering note judgment. And I want to remind you that today is the day of salvation. Today, Jesus is our Savior. But when He returns, Jesus will be our judge. A mommy, a mommy was taking her little boy uh, shopping, or should I say, mommy was shopping, and the little boy was just being dragged along. The little boy did not want to go shopping, and little boys who don't want to go shopping grow up and to be big boys one day who do not want to go shopping. I got dragged along this weekend. Oh dear, gussy! My my, my. well, wow, that's another sermon. And the little boy's yanking, yanking, and his mother's—he finally escapes and he runs out into the street right in the front of a truck. Thankfully, a businessman walking along the sidewalk saw it happen. He dove out, he tackled the little boy, and he rolled to safety with the little boy. It was written up in all the newspapers. The headlines ran, Man becomes Savior to little boy. Man saves boy from certain death. Twenty-five years pass. Sad to say, tragically, the little boy grew up to be a killer. He's murdered a man. And now he stands on sentencing day. He stands in the courtroom about ready to receive his sentence. But as he stands there, ready to receive his sentence, he recognizes the man in the black robe, sitting at the bench. And he says, Sir, Sir, don't you remember me? I was that little boy years ago that you rescued. I was the little boy that you saved. You were my Savior. the man behind the bench looks down and said to him, Yes, indeed. Yesterday, I was your Savior, but today, I am your Judge. Jesus died upon the cross for you. Jesus shed His blood for you. He rose from the dead with resurrection life that you might have a changed life. You might be born again and made brand new Then Jesus ascended to the very right hand of God and received His crown. And the Bible says that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. As I look at the world today, as I listen to the news, as I hear even what the world is saying, everybody's expecting something to happen. We're on the threshold of something happening. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. The King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. For you that are weary, for you that are war-torn by the news both across our nation and around the world, the King is coming. For you that are worried about who's crossing our borders that have become so permeable and how many sleeper terrorist cells have come across our border, uh, hear me in this. Do not be weary in well-doing. The King is coming. For you, that, for you that are downtrodden by the abortionists and the communists and the feminists and all the isms that are in our world today, let's announce to them the, the good news. The King is coming. I don't know about you, I don't look for a so-called king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. I don't look for a so-called king of pop, Michael Jackson. I'm lifting up my head as these things begin to come to pass. I'm lifting up my head. Let's lift up our heads for our redemption draweth nigh. The real king is coming. Hallelujah! And he's going to set foot upon the Mount of Olives. He's going to walk into the United Nations. He's going to walk into the halls of Congress. He's going to walk into the White House. Into the Oval Office. And if he's not on vacation, he's going to say, I'm in charge now. I'm King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. But beware, He's not coming back this time to die on a cross. He's not coming back to be an emaciated Savior on a crucifix. He's coming back as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Judge. And the books will be opened. You might not hear this in other churches, but I'm asking the question today. Are you ready for Judgment Day? Are you ready for when the books will be opened? In fact, is your name written in the book of life? Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow our heads. And Lord, we're thankful that your Holy Spirit has already marked this service. Your Holy Spirit has already addressed the subject of fear long before I preached it. Lord, I pray that we will not operate in fear, which produces greed, but that, Lord, will operate in faith, which produces faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that we'll receive you as Savior and not wait for you to be judged. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. As heads are bowed, and no one is looking around the privacy, the sacredness of this moment. You need to take communion. You need to participate in this life, this everlasting life. But you're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure that you have a home in heaven, and you want to be sure. I'm prepared to pray a prayer, a prayer that'll change your eternal, destiny and give you a home in heaven and make you right with God so that you can receive Holy Communion. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, as heads are bowed and no one is looking around, if you would like to be included in this prayer, all I ask is that you exercise your faith just by lifting up your hand so that I can see it and more especially that heaven can see it. How many? How many? You want to be included in this prayer this morning. You want to be made right with God. You want to know that you know that heaven is your home. How many want to be included in this prayer of salvation? Lift up your hand high so that I can see it. I don't want to leave anyone out. Today He's Savior. Tomorrow He is Judge. Unless you're waving your hand at me and I don't see it, I don't see any hands that are raised this morning. So this morning, I declare that each and every one then is either born again, you're right with God, or you are saying, I do not want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm going to count to three If there are any hands to be raised, raise them now. One, two, three. Father, I ask and pray right now, bless this communion service. Make it real to the saints. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.